It is, it is an exciting time. We're coming into summer. Got to celebrate the graduates today. We got, you know, everybody's moving up. The eighth graders have moved up into, into Ignite. We got the, the fifth graders have moved up into Extreme. And so they're with us this morning, including my daughter. So that's exciting times. For, hi, Kate. How you doing, baby? I'll, I'll leave Tanner and Jackson alone. They, they would love that. But. but if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to finish out chapter 10 this morning. Last week we looked at verses 7 through 11 and got some tips on how to judge others. I titled that message, The Rethinking Righteous Judgment. And, and today is kind of the corollary to last week's message. We're going to flip the script today and instead of, of, of judging, focusing on judging others, we're going to focus on judging ourselves today. That's, that's always a real blast when we get, we get to do that. Uh, but, but listen, I mean, while it, while it might not be fun, it's, it's at least f- good for us to look in the mirror sometimes, right? I mean, I mean if, you're, you know, if your hair looks crazy, you want to know that, right, before you go out into public looking that way. So, you know, or, you know or, or if you don't have hair, you know, your clothes. Sorry, Zach, you were right here. I, I, you're front row, I, you know. Beard, if your beard was messed up, you'd want to know. You'd want to know. So that's all we're trying to do this morning. We're trying to help you out a little bit before you go out in public looking all crazy. And we're going to do that by learning about how God measures, how God measures things in our life. So I've titled today's message, The Measurement of the Minister. And you might be thinking... Well, I'm I'm not a minister, uh, so so this message uh, must not apply to me, and and that's just not true. Sorry, uh, because while you might not be a pastor, if you're if you are a born again Christian, bought by the blood of the Lamb, then you are in fact a minister. You're Christ's servant, and you've been given a job. We've all been given the ministry of reconciliation, according to Second Corinthians five eighteen, and that makes you a minister. And so because of that, the goal at this church is to have every member a minister. We want you involved in ministry with us. And so that's, you know, that's part of the announcements. When we, when we talk about summer camp, we talk about VBS, and those are, those are things that give you an opportunity to not only pray, but consider your spot. Consider, you know, we're going to need help for Vacation Bible School. This, this summer. We're going to need help for those things. And so to consider and pray for your spot on, on where you fit in this ministry. And in order to help you out with that, what we're going to learn today are some key components of an approved minister and how God measures that sort of thing. Because here's one thing I know. I know that the way the world measures versus the way God measures, those things are vastly different. And even churches, and even individuals, it's very easy, individual Christians, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking like the world too much. For example, when God was talking to the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, he said that while they thought they were poor, they were in fact rich. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8, And unto the angel of the church of, in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. And then we have these quotations, you know, these, these, this uh, parentheses. But thou art rich. But in contrast 
to that church. When God was talking to the church in Laodicea, which pictures the age in which we live today with respect to church history, that church, they thought they were rich. But according to God's measurement, they weren't. Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And they didn't understand the way God measures. We, many of us, don't understand the way God measures. So in keeping with the theme of this chapter on the mindset of ministry, we need to have God's mind on how he measures things. And that's what we're going to try to give you this morning. So let's go ahead and read our passage for study. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 18. Follow along with me. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors, but having hope. When your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the day that we have today as we get to, to sit around it. We get to celebrate the, the high school students, we get to hear from you uh, through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you teach us this morning. I pray that everything is said is true to your word. I pray that it's honor, honoring and glorifying to you. And I, and I pray that, that we as a body today, Lord, are, are, are just focused where we need to be focused and, and um, offer a, a sweet savor offering to you this morning in, in our worship and our praise and Lord, in, in our attentiveness to your word, we just uh, thank you for your son, uh, for all that you do for us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So one of the things you might have picked up on as we read through this passage was, was the repetitiveness of the word measure, right? You see it all, all throughout there, and it has a couple different different meanings. We'll talk about that. But a form of the word measure was used six times in those seven verses. And then also, you might have seen the word rule. That's what you know, we would call today a ruler or a measurement standard. That, that word was used two more times. So eight times in seven verses, we get this concept of measuring. And the, and the measuring that we're talking about is measuring ourselves specific, and, and specifically measuring our ministry efforts according to God's standard. Remember, Paul is fighting against some false accusations by, by some people that didn't like him very much. We, we talked about that uh, last week. And he's describing and he's defending his ministry to the Corinthians. And in doing so, he lays out for us four measurements that we need to get right when it comes to ministry and our work for the Lord so that we can be approved with the Lord. Paul gives us God's mind on this subject. And the first measurement that we need to get right is this. We need the right comparison. We need the right comparison. This is verse 12. Look there with me again. 
if we dare not make ourselves of the number. And there he's just saying we don't put ourselves in the group that, that count themselves, right? We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Okay, so, so I believe that this is one of the most practical and helpful verses in the entire Bible when it comes to developing godliness in your life. And I say that because we all deal with these issues, this specific issue of comparisons. The devil certainly knows it. I mean, much of social media is set up with an underlying goal of getting you to compare your life to that of your friends or the influencers or whomever. And it produces envy and covetousness because you want what they have or or on the flip side, it, it produces pride and arrogance because you think you're better off than them. But the truth is it's all false. And places like Romans 1 and 1 Timothy 6 and Titus 3 warn us about the dangers of, of those sinful emotions and, and comparisons. But the truth is that's, that's not even, that, that's something we all deal with, that, that aspect of comparisons in, from a worldly standard. But that's not what this verse is really even talking about. The direct context of 2 Corinthians 10.12 is comparing our spirituality with that of another person and comparing ministries. So those false teachers, those false accusers in Corinth were, were running down Paul and saying they were of Christ and Paul was inconsistent in how he handled his ministry with the Corinthians and he was you know, all base and weak in his presence but he was really strong in his letters and he wasn't consistent in all that. And they were basically saying that they were the real representatives of Christ instead of Paul, that Paul wasn't. And that's the context. So comparing ourselves with others in relation to spirituality and godliness and ministry. That's what's really being addressed here in verse 12. And, and this, too, is, is something to which none of us are immune. We all fall into the trap at one time or another of comparing ourselves among ourselves. Be honest. You've said in your heart, at least, if not out loud, at some point, you know, probably even fairly recently, something like, well, you know, I mean, I might not have it all together, but at least I'm not like so-and-so. You see them? And he said, you know you have. You know, or, or something like, okay, well, yeah, I've, I haven't been here in the past couple weeks, but whew, the so-and-so family, I think they missed all spring. Are you kidding me? And we do that because it's just natural. It's just how we think. Is so natural for us to do. And, and this is why I think this verse is so practical and helpful. Because this verse, in spite of us doing that and thinking like that, this verse tells us so very clearly that that, that is wrong. <laughs> and the Bible tells us this we should not do. Paul says those that do it are not wise. And yet we'll say... We want to be wise, we want to seek out wisdom, and then we compare ourselves among ourselves. It's so clearly laid out, and yet we do it so naturally, but it's the wrong comparison. Now, we're going to get to the right comparison. You know, my, my point is the, we need to understand the right comparison. We're going to get to that in a minute. That is the main focus of this point. But the truth is, and I think this is on your outline sheet, 
If you compare yourself in this way to any of the Christians around you, your sights are too low. Your sights are too low. I told you a few weeks ago, don't look at me, I move too much. And I meant that in this sense of, of comparing. Because what is okay to do is follow me as I follow Christ. Paul told us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, and, and many other places. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 is an example. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So there is everything right about emulating another Christian's discipline or work ethic, their, their good works, their deeds. It's a part of discipleship. So you can use other Christians as examples and study them and, and learn from them, but you will never get the true value of yourself comparing yourself with other people. And that's because God has made us all differently with different giftings and different roles and different callings. We'll get to that in our next point. But additionally, we all have different flaws. We all have stuff in our lives that we're not proud of, but for some reason, the flaws in the other person is always worse than the flaws in us. And when you begin to compare yourself with someone else, the flaws are what you're going to naturally be drawn to. And that will typically be the standard that you use as the comparison, or in the comparison. And it doesn't do you any good. Jesus spoke about this in in a parable in, in Luke chapter 18. Verses 10 and 11, he said, Two men went up uh, into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, as extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You know, verse 12, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's looking at this publican. He's saying, boy, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. Whew. And listen, again, that's, that's our natural inclination. And the comparison is always what we see on the outside, which we learned last week is the wrong way to judge others. Because what that Pharisee didn't see was what was going on inside that publican. That's verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And and, and what's on the inside is what is important. Because again, as we learned last week, that's where God looks on the heart. But here's what you need to catch. What that publican saw in himself is what we will all see when we make the right comparison. Because the wrong comparison is looking at others. But but getting to where we really want to to go at this point, since there's a wrong comparison, there's also a right comparison. And the right comparison is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only measurement by which we are to measure. Last week we spent a little time in Ephesians chapter 4 and and talked about how God gave the church pastors and teachers to to edify, to build up the church. And so that people would grow into spiritual maturity and they wouldn't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. And we see the goal of all of that in verse 13 of that chapter, Ephesians 4.13. It says, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a, a perfect man, a complete man, unto the what? 
the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, there's one standard, and the standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. The standard is the Word, according to John 1, 1 and 1 John 1, 1 and Revelation 19, 13, that speaking of Jesus says, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And, and just for sake of time, let me cut across the field here and just tell you what that means for us today. It means that the written word of God is also our standard because they are one. And the written word is how we learn about Jesus and how we learn about how to live this Christian life. And let me just take the opportunity to say that just as there is only one personal standard in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is also only one written standard as well. While there are many copycats, copycats, there's only one that's true. But Christ is our comparison. That is the right comparison. That's who we are to compare ourselves with. And understanding that will, will enlighten you in some things with respect to what the Bible has to say. So particularly some passages in the Old Testament that I find inter very interesting. Because while we're told not to compare ourselves to others... When you look at the kings, for example, in the Old Testament, what you will find is that God is always comparing them to David. In case you don't know, let me give you a very quick history of Israel. After you come through Saul, so you have the time of Judges and ending with Samuel, and they set up the king. So we have Saul, then we have David, and we have Solomon, what you see is that the kingdom of Israel was split in half. Well, not really in half, but in ten northern tribes called Israel, and then two southern tribes uh, called Judah. There was, a, there was also a split for a short time after, after Saul's death, but for good, after Solomon. And, and, you know, they go through a series of kings all the way from, you know, Solomon up to the point that, that each side falls into captivity. Um, at, at different times in history. And they each had 19 kings between Solomon and their captivity. Judah also had one queen uh, for a few years. But, so you have a number of, you know, 38 kings that, that we're dealing with in, in this time. And, and on Judah's side, there were a few good ones. You know, there were more bad than good, but, but they got it right a few times. On Israel's side, they never got it right. Not one. Not one good king in the bunch. They were all bad. But what you see God doing over and over was comparing these kings to one standard king. And that standard king was David. They were all measured by him. You see it repeatedly. Let me just give you a few examples. 2 Kings 14.3. This is speaking of King Amaziah. The Bible says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet... Not like David, his father. He did according to all the things as Joash, his father, did. If you go down a couple chapters later, 2 Kings 16, 2. 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God like, his, like David, his father. A couple chapters down, 2 Kings 18, 3. And he, this is speaking of Hezekiah, did that which is right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. And those are just a few examples. You actually see this over and over, all through the kings, and the, books of, the two books of Kings and the two books of Chronicles. You see this over and over, this comparison with David. And so it's like, well, wait a, wait a second, Lord. Are, 
are we supposed to do this or not? I didn't think we were supposed to compare ourselves among ourselves. Well, the answer opens up some things for you in the Word of God. Because the answer is that David is one of the great pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. Especially in his role as king. He was the standard. He was the king of kings in a physical sense. So they're all compared to him. And for us spiritually, that standard is Christ. Not me. Not you. Not someone else. The standard is Christ. So listen, that means the only goal in your spiritual life is conformity to Christ. It's Romans 8, verses 28 and 29, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the goal in your spiritual life isn't a successful ministry. The goal isn't even fruit in your life per se. Now, you should desire a successful ministry. You should desire fruit. The Bible talks about both of those. But those should, should just be a natural outpouring of you chasing after the conformity to Christ. When you live your life with the goal to be conformed to his image, what you're going to find is the successful ministry takes care of itself. The, the fruit takes care of itself. And when you jump beyond and you jump over the goal of conformity to Christ and you seek those other things, you're going about it in the wrong manner. No, those are the result of just, of just, of just spending your life, your days, trying to look more and more like Christ every day. And here is how you work on that goal. You work on that goal as you get into and analyze the mirror you find in God's word, which is the standard. That's the, how you're measured by. And so you look in there and you see what it tells you to do and it shows you how to look more and more like Christ. And you allow the word of God to do the work that only it can do in your life. That washing of the water by the word. It cleanses you and molds you into his image. And until you look like him, you keep after it. That means it's going to take your whole life. Because you're never going to get there in this flesh. Now, praise the Lord, it's going to happen one day when we get our glorified bodies. God's promised us that. Philippians 1.6 has been confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But it's our job to do the work down here, to look more and more like him each day. And let me just tell you, when you're doing that work and you look into the mirror of God's word every day, and you begin to honestly evaluate and judge yourself according to that measure, you realize very quickly that you don't have any room to slack off. And you got a lot of work to do. And you feel like that publican. And you still have a ways to go. So you have to stay focused. The race ain't over, so don't get distracted. Keep your spiritual eyes focused on Jesus. That's Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. These are all popular verses that, that most of us know. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That, that, that's our line. We're going to talk about that in a second. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. You look to him and you stay focused on him. And when you're doing that and when you're going about life the way that God intended, what you're going to find is that you don't have time to look at and compare yourself to anyone else. You don't have time to do it. That's not going to help you. Compare yourself to Christ. Seek conformity to him. And, and, and we're going to talk more about this as, as we get to the end. But make the right comparison as you look to Jesus. And then second, when you're looking at and judging yourself, make sure that you are working in the right calling. The right calling. This is verses 13 and 14. Look at verse 13. It says, But we will not boast of things without or, or outside of, beyond, outside of our measure. We'll not boast of things without our measure. But according to the measure of the rule which God had, hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For he stretched not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. So, so this point, and, and, and there's a lot in here that we just don't have time to dive into. But what I want to focus on in these verses is this right calling. And, and, and what that is, is that God has given each of us a job to do. We're all members of the body, and you know most of us are members of this body. And God, God has given each of us a role. God's given each of us a job. We are all members in particular. And Paul is saying God has distributed that to us. He's distributed us a specific job. And for Paul, it reached to the Corinthians. He said, we came. We started this church because God called us to do that. That's verse 14. And, and in verse 14, he said, we're not even looking beyond that. And you look at the life of Paul, and, you know, Paul certainly goes well beyond that after this. But in this moment, he's like, we're not looking past you. Like, you don't matter to us. We're not, we're not stretching beyond that until God calls us. That's what he meant when he said, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you. We're not looking past you. Now, again, he does go on to say in verses 15 and 16 that he hopes the Corinthians are going to get things squared away. His focus is on them now because that's what God's calling him to fix in this moment. And he says, I hope you guys do get it squared away so that we can enlarge our ministry and preach the gospel elsewhere propelled by you. Propelled by, by the encouragement that we can get through you. But in that moment, that wasn't Paul's focus. Because God had given Paul a specific call and a specific commission to fulfill. And he was content to be there and do that with the Corinthians as long as God had him there. As long as it took. And he didn't need or want to go beyond what God had given him to do until things were settled and until God called him to something else. He didn't need to go beyond his plan. You know, we've talked about this, uh, you know, before, but, you know, there's many stages to our life, and, and God has d different plans and different stages. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to skip the next stage until God's got you, had you finish what you had before, until you finished that course. And that's what Paul is saying there. And listen, this is important because this is a problem for some folks. And they desire... What God has, has given someone else. What God has given to another person. And, and that usually is because they mess up the first point And they start comparing themselves among themselves. And then doing what only they can do gets all out of whack. Because they want to do other stuff. 
And they get outside God's calling for their life and outside the limits that God has for them at that time. And listen, did you know that even Jesus himself functioned this way within the specific calling of his life? And Jesus had no problem allowing his father to limit his ministry, so to speak. Of course he was God too, but he was submitted to his father. And and let me tell you how Jesus' ministry was limited. First of all, it was limited by his father's will. Jesus said in John 5 verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. He was submitted to his Father's will. And then second, not only did Jesus come to do his Father's will, but he came to do it in his his Father's will in his Father's time. Look at John 7, 6. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. He deferred even to the timing of when things were to happen. But then third, he was also limited to his father's people. Matthew 15, 24 says, But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, praise the Lord. You know, praise the Lord they rejected him. (laughs) That sounds weird. A door was opened unto us because of Israel's rejection. Praise the Lord that a door was opened unto the Gentiles. It was opened unto us. But the original plan was for Israel. And then fourth, Jesus was limited to his father's mission. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he had a specific mission to accomplish. And, And here's why I point all that out to you. Because when you get messed up in this area, and there are a lot of people that, that, that get this twisted, because God has a specific job for them to do, and that job may change over time, of course. I mean, Jesus even had his work to do with his disciples, and that finished, and then he had to go to the cross. And so we all have different jobs, different callings for specific times in our life. But what happens is, is when we get messed up in that. You know, and, and many times it happens with just, man, young, excited men that want to serve the Lord even. But what happens is when you get messed up in the specific calling for the specific time, you're going to find it's in one of these four areas. That you're going to find that you let your will rise to the surface. And what that leads you to do is want to do things in your own timing. And minister to and with only the people that you want to minister to and with. And you want to go about it the way you want to go about it. You have great ideas and great plans and this is the way to accomplish it because you have the mission defined in your head. And it looks the way you want to look. So I just want to encourage you, don't get caught up in all that. There's a role in the body that each of us have. And God has set a measure to that job. He knows how you're gifted. He knows how he made you. Therefore, he knows what you can do and what you can't do. And so what you need to be asking yourself is, am I where God wants me to be? Again, coming off our first point, it's not about comparing yourself to what someone else is doing. No, the only question is, is what does God have for me to do? What does God have for you to do? And are you doing it? We're all in this together. We're not in competition. 
We're one body. God is not going to measure me on the gifts and the opportunities he gave to Mark Trotter and Jeff Bartell. And praise the Lord, by the way, that he's not going to do that. But he will measure my work by what he has assigned to me according to the gifts that he gifted me with. And he will measure you by the same thing. He will measure your work by what he has assigned you. And what he's looking for in all of us is faithfulness to that call. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We have a stewardship, a job, a line, a role. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's what God requires. So work on that. Work where God has called you. Buy that field and till it and work it and sow in it until God gives the increase, until God calls you to something else, until the job is done. I, run, I once read a, a John MacArthur quote that applies here, and, 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 and MacArthur is a Bible-correcting Calvinist, but this quote's a good one, so I'll give him credit. He said, I realized a long time ago that if I take care of the depth of my ministry, I can leave the breadth to God. And I want you to think about that, because that's the focus. Take care of the depth of your ministry and your relationship with the Lord, and let God take care of where it goes, how far out it goes. And, and, and what's next and all that. There's good truth in that. Focus on the right calling, the specific role that God has for you in this body, and do that. And let God take care of where it goes from there. And if he has something else for you in his own timing, not your timing, in his timing, if he has something else for you, praise the Lord, go do that. And, and that's how we're to live our life. And listen, I'm not the, the, the best model to live by, but the one thing I've done is that's how I've lived my life. When I was a young man, um, at the end of my junior year, so for all of you, you guys that graduated high school and, and all you Ignite students, at the end of my junior year in high school, I was saved as, as a kid, but at the end of my junior year, I told, I told God I'd do whatever he wanted. God got a hold of my heart uh, at a church service in an auditorium kind of similar to this one. And I came down to the front, and I told him that day, I said, God, I'll say yes. Whatever it is, I'll say yes. And that's just how I lived my life. I just lived my life saying yes to the Lord. And I didn't look ahead. I didn't look beyond. And again, I'm not, I'm, please don't tell you, I'm not trying to pump myself up like I'm something. I'm not. I'm not. But what I did was I was, I was where God had me. And I worked that field as hard as I could. And then when something else came along, I, I said yes to that. And I just kept saying yes. And I think that's all God wants from us. Is he wants us to be faithful where he's called us in that right calling. And then, he, and then when he has something else for us in his timing, he'll make that clear. So, so, so get that, understand that right calling. And then third, you also need to make sure that you're giving the right credit. The right credit. This is giving the credit where credit's due and, and, and not claiming something that isn't yours. And this breaks down a couple different ways. But look back at verse 15. Not boasting of things without measure, that is, of other men's labors. So outside of our, our measure, outside of what God's calling us to, I'm not going to boast on what another man's doing. But, but then having hope when your faith is increased, again, he said, I'm focused on you guys. But here's what I hope. I hope you do grow to the point that we can go beyond. Together, 
you praying for me, us together, because look at this, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory to the Lord. And again, there's a lot in here, that, but, but I want to focus on a specific aspect, and that's, that's giving the right credit, credit where credit is due. And, and this breaks down a couple of different ways. The first and the obvious application here is not taking credit for another man's labors. To not boast in another man's line of things. That's his path or the work that God has given to that man. Paul's saying he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to take credit for someone else's work. Even though I'm sure there were plenty of men out there who were taking credit for Paul's labors. Including these, including these false teachers and these false accusers. And they weren't taking credit for Paul's line. But, but that's not really the, the main point that I want to focus on here. Here's what I want to focus on. If it is, in fact, the Lord working through you, through that calling, as you compare yourself to him and you're, you're working on this goal of conformity to Christ and you find your spot and you're focused there on what God has for you and you start seeing God do some things, well, if it's, if it's the Lord working through you, then you don't deserve the credit anyway. The credit belongs to him. That's verse 17. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And this was Paul's example, not needing credit, not even feeling like he deserved credit. He expressed this same sentiment to the Corinthians in his first letter, you know, mainly as a complaint for their carnality, for picking their favorite and, and giving credit where it wasn't deserved. But look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. You know, he's talking to the Corinthians, for ye are yet carnal. He's very direct. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye have believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I've planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And we're going to get to that here in our next point. But it's not, Paul says it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. Who cares? It's God who did the work. Let's glorify him. And this is an important aspect. This is an important thing to understand on getting God's mind, on judging ourselves and judging our work for the Lord. Because the truth is, if you're not willing to judge yourself, what you're going to find is those people who, who aren't willing to go through this process and, and seek the right comparison and, and find contentment in the right spot, what, what they're going to do is they're going to seek their own glory. And they're going to seek self-promotion and, and self-exaltation. But listen, they'll never get it. They'll never get what they're looking for because it's in the flesh. And when you do that, your flesh is never satisfied. Whatever you get is not enough. King Solomon, in his search for vanity, learned this the hard way. And I want you to listen to these words in Proverbs 25, 27. He said, it is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. That's not how you achieve it. If you're searching for your own glory, you're not going to get it. That's not what it's about. It's in your own efforts. Paul said, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. If you're going to get glory, glory in the Lord. Because that's where ultimate satisfaction is achieved. When you've moved out of that, that realm of the flesh, 
into the, the realm of walking in the Spirit. Man, when you get to that spot, and then you've got somewhere. And in that verse, in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, Paul's quoting Jeremiah 9. Listen to verses 23 and 24. He says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Man, what a verse Jeremiah 9.24 is. It says, if you're going to glory, here's what you need to glory in, that you understand and you know me. And, and that's an amazing verse, because Isaiah tells us that his ways are so far above our ways. His thoughts are, so, heavens are from the earth. And yet, God gives us the ability to not only know him, but to understand him on a level that we can serve him to his glory. What an amazing thing that is. And if you're going to glory, glory in that, that you get to know him, that you've accepted him as your personal savior, and you start spending time in this word to understand him and understand what he has for you in this life. Glory in that, and then do it. Be about the Father's business. This is something the Corinthians must have struggled with. He had already quoted this for them back in 1 Corinthians 131, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I like the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 115, verse 1. He says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. And let me clue you in on something here. When you get to the place in your Christian life that, that what you do is about getting credit where credit deserves, and you, you're, you're working for his glory in this, in this life, you're in that walking in the spirit realm that we just talked about, and you don't need people to recognize you. And listen, I get it. We're all fleshly. And, and, and it affects all of us at times. But, but when you get to the point that at the end of the day, you don't really need it. You don't need people to recognize you. And you're, just, you're happy that God is glorified and, and that's the main thing that matters. When you get there, you've arrived somewhere. That's a man and that is a woman that God can use. It's Galatians 6.14 living. Paul says it this way, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. That's a powerful person right there. Because it's someone who's judged themselves, and they've died to themselves. We're going to get to that. And they understand the right credit, and that it belongs to the Lord. But there's one more aspect of, of, of judging ourselves. There's one more measurement for a minister that we have to look at. It's related to this last point of the right credit, but, it, but it's also going to bring us full circle. That's why we need to judge ourselves by these measures. And that's to make sure you're seeking the right commendation. You're seeking the right commendation. Verse 18. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So Paul is very clear here. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself and your labors. And while it's not explicitly stated here in this verse, let me tell you, it also doesn't matter what others think of you and your labors. All that matters is what the Lord thinks. So let me ask you, are you seeking commendation on this earth? Or are you seeking it in heaven? Because there's a, there is a right answer and a wrong answer to that question. And Paul had, had, had already addressed this. Again, these are, these are issues that come up over and over 
with this, this church here in Corinth. He'd already addressed it back in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Those are rhetorical questions. The obvious answer was no. Down in chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that we may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. You see, Paul knew the importance of this issue of, of commendation. And it's important because it's related to us being approved. Right? That's what verse 18 says. So there is an approval process taking place in our life as we speak. And the Bible tells us how we can get ready, how we can, how we can show ourselves approved. We have ways to be approved. Many of you know 2 Timothy 2.15, right? Study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be, be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we can be a workman in the word of God, studying to show ourselves approved unto God. That, that's also related to 1 Corinthians 11.19 that says, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So part of the reason why God allows heresies in the church is so that those approved, those who know and have studied the word of God, can be made manifest, can be, can be known. So those are both related. 2 Timothy 2.15 and 1 Corinthians 11.19 are both related to one's understanding, but not only understanding, understanding and working knowledge of the word of God. But let me show you another place. It's back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 4, he says, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, how? In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And he goes on and on. And this gets to many things. But let me sum it up this way. This is dying to your flesh. So God's approval process involves you having a relationship with God's word in such a way that you forsake your own will and you die to yourself and you just live for him, come what may, and you focus on the job that he's given you to do in that moment. And really, that's what understanding the right comparison and the right calling and the right credit are all about. It's using that word, using God's word as your looking glass as you compare yourself only to him and you find the spot that God has for you to minister and when you find it, you die to yourself and you let him do the work through, the, through you and you let him get the credit and when you do that, you are positioned to receive the right commendation, approval from the Lord and listen, here is why this is so important. It's because we won't really know if we are approved or not until our work on this earth is done, and until we meet him at our final judgment. And I, I told you last week, for the Christian, that's the judgment seat of Christ. And in that day, you're going to stand before the one standard, the Lord Jesus Christ, face to face, just you and him. And you won't be able to point to anyone else. Listen, you won't be able to say, but hey, at least I was better than Troy. It won't matter because I'm not the standard, and I never was. 
you know, Peter tried to pull that type of thing with, with Jesus in John chapter 21. It's in a little different context, but, but, but I want you to see this. This was after the resurrection, before Jesus' ascension. And Jesus has that interaction with Peter where he asks him if he loves him three times, right? And he goes through all that because after that, he says, all right, great, you're going to die for me. <laughs> Follow thou me. <laughs> all right, okay. So we look at, at Peter's response. So he tells him he's going to die. John chapter 21, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, which also leaned on his breast at supper, that's John, and said, Lord, which is he that betray thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And so there's Peter. He's like, you know, hey, uh, what if, if I'm going to die, what about John? Is he coming along with me? Like, we in this together? And can I get like a partner in this? And, and he said, listen, what if I choose, if, 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 if he tarries here until I come? What if he never has to die for me? What is that to thee? This is you and me, Peter. This is just you and me. Follow thou me. And when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, it's just you and him. It's just me and him. And what somebody else did or didn't do won't matter. Only what you did. And did you do it according to the word of God? Did you minister on the line he gave you? And, and listen, whoever gets credit on this earth, that's not going to matter. Only what you did, only what he did through you that he gets credit for. That's going to matter. So you need to make sure you're making the right comparison on this earth because that's going to matter. And you need to make sure you're in the right calling because that's going to matter. And you need to make sure that the Lord is getting his rightful credit because that's going to matter. And living your life in that manner will give you the right commendation. The only one that matters. If I tell you you're doing a great job and, and, and the Lord's doing awesome things, well, man, praise the Lord. Take encouragement from that. But at the end of the day, my commendation doesn't matter. Here's the only one that matters. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord saith unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things and will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. We have to live our lives seeking that commendation. That's what matters.